Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to a Big Thing episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we're turning our attention to the South Korea national team. They sport an international superstar in Tottenham's Son Heung-min. They've got very talented complementary pieces in PSG's Lee Kang-in, Wolverhampton's Hwang Hee-chan, as well as Bayern Munich defender Kim Min-jae, who straddles the line between superstar and big-name player. I wasn't quite sure how to categorize him. They have a domestic league with plenty of talent, both young and old. And they entered the 2024 or 2023 Asian Cup as a strong contender with the second best odds to win the whole thing. And their manager saying that anything less than a win was a failure. But now they're out of the tournament at the hands of Jordan, who also caused them problems in the group stage. And that manager, Jurgen Klinsmann, faces an uncertain future, unless you ask him. Uh, how did this tournament play out for South Korea? What has Klinsmann done in his time in charge? What has he not done? And what comes next, both for him and the national team as a whole? Here with me to talk it all out are Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. And Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello. Graham, I'm I'm very excited for this episode, apprehensive that I, as the host, without Ryan Bailey in charge, might end up taking us on a 45-minute rant about Jurgen Klinsmann. <laughs> I'm going to try to avoid that and instead turn it to you to explain why we are dedicating an episode of The Big Thing to a team that we're not the favorites, but we're like one of the favorites getting knocked out in the semifinal. That's not really like the biggest of big things, but it does mm. feel appropriate in this situation. Yeah, so I know we've been focusing a lot on um, AFCON the past few weeks, but the Asian Cup has also been happening at the same time, and Jürgen Klinsmann has been stinking the whole place out as South Korea manager. So given the USMNT's past with Klinsmann, this feels like a good story to take a look at, because there is a lot going on here, certainly more than meets the eye when you look at South Korea going out in the semi-finals of this tournament. So as you say, Taylor, South Korea were one of the pre-tournament favourites to win the 2023 Asian Cup. I, I don't know how much of that was related to their form um, pre-tournament because going back to last summer, South Korea had struggled for, for good results and, and, and performances. But as you say, Taylor, they certainly have one of the most talented squads in the AFC, so there was an expectation that they would go far. And on paper, they did go far. They made the semifinals. That was actually an improvement on only making the quarterfinals at the 2019 Asian Cup. But that doesn't really tell the full story because South Korea, they kind of scraped their way to the semifinals. Their performances, um, which many of which I didn't watch, but as far as I can tell, were generally poor and relied on a series of late goals to make it through each round. They won uh, just one of their three group games. They drew against Jordan and Malaysia, which were games that they were expected to win. They scored an equaliser against Saudi Arabia in the ninth minute of stoppage time then repeated the trick against Australia by scoring in the sixth minute of stoppage time and then a Song Hyun-min free kick wins it for them in extra time. Then ultimately, they go out with a whimper to Jordan in the semi-finals. It never really felt like one of the criticisms, and we'll get into this a little bit uh, more a little bit later on, it never really felt like South Korea had much of a tactical structure. They lacked cohesion. They, it felt like they only got through by individual talent and collective hmm. spirit and Jürgen Klinsmann. Some of this sounding familiar, Taylor? Bit, Jürgen Klinsmann has bore the brunt of a lot of the criticism. And there's also some non-footballing um, aspects to this story as well, which might also uh, cause some footballing PTSD for USMNT fans listening to this episode. There was an element of that as I was researching and then going back and reading old pieces about Klinsmann in charge of the US and just realizing how much I did not love that time period. But we're not going to get into that just yet. Instead, Joe, I want to make sure we're sort of all on the same page when it comes to 
the performance of South Korea in the Asian Cup. As Graham said, he did not watch uh, every game, nor have I, nor have you, to my understanding. Uh, and when we look at the South Korea team, it's one that I was sort of expecting to get knocked out at some point in somewhat unceremonious fashion. And so, as Graham has outlined, they make the semifinal you, further than they went last time. So in some ways, you could perceive it as a success. But then the struggles in the group stage, the fact that they have relied on individual moments and late winners and late equalizers to get to the point that they got to, it does feel like it's less stable, less maybe capable of being replicated long term. All that to ask you your like overall thoughts on the present situation of South Korea as they are knocked out of the tournament. Yeah, in some ways, the results do feel about right in terms of their finish at this competition. Pretty much anywhere you look had Japan as the clear favorites for this tournament. They are not alive at this point in time and had South Korea second. And then you had Iran and Australia and Saudi Arabia sort of in that next tier behind those two teams. But Japan were very much in a tier all on their own. So the idea of South Korea finishing around the semifinals is not shocking. To Graham's point, there were some very poor performances in this competition for South Korea. Like You even look at, at their inability to finish at the top of the group stage, and they, they still controlled a lot of those games that created the majority of the chances quite often in this competition. But then you look at that last game against Jordan, and they had a lot of the ball. But you go through and you, you watch, guys, they lost possession so frequently inside their own half. The distribution from the back, Graham is nodding, was really, really poor and, and not at the level of the talent that's there. You know, those kinds of performances happen. Players have bad games. It is a little bit difficult, as Taylor will, will gleefully run through later on. It's difficult to separate that from what we know about Jurgen Klinsmann as a manager. So you, you have that whole side of things. And the other fact is, and, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, if you tell us coming into this tournament, South Korea get knocked out in the semifinals, I don't really think any of us bat an eye. If you tell us coming into this tournament that South Korea drop out in the semifinals when so many of the other yeah. top favorites in this thing That's are also gone, like this is a different story, Graham, at this point. Japan are knocked out in the quarterfinals by Iran. When that happens, everybody starts to feel better about their chance, about their chances to win this thing, especially South Korea, who are on the opposite side of the bracket as Japan. So if you get to the final, your path to winning this thing in a theoretical sense is so much better than it was before that. Japan finished second in their group. They uh, they finished behind Iraq before losing to Iran, as I mentioned, in the quarterfinals. Australia end up losing to South Korea in the quarterfinals. And then South Korea dropped to Jordan. Iran lose to Qatar in the other semifinals. Like, there's so many of these crazy moments that have happened where if you take the final four teams on paper, all of a sudden, South Korea's path to winning this thing feels yeah. so much stronger. I think that's the key to the the way this has been framed, Joe, is the fact that South Korea hadn't, they, they haven't won an Asian Cup since 1960. So while other big heavyweight uh, Asian nations like Japan and Saudi Arabia and of course Australia, who are part of AFC, have all won an Asian Cup recently, South Korea are not in that company. And they, and they see that as an embarrassment. And I think rightfully so, when you look at the, the, the players that they produce, you could argue right now that they have, what, like three of the best individual players in Asian football right now. So for them to have gone that long without being um, regional confederation champions is a bit of an embarrassment. And they believe this was their best chance in a, in a long time. There was a lot of discussion about that before the tournament. You know, everyone uh, or nobody really likes the term golden generation, but I saw that um, bandied around in a couple articles pre-tournament that South Korea apparently have a golden generation. And as other heavyweights like Japan and Australia fell by the wayside, there's the, the opportunity grows for South Korea. They, they have to beat Jordan and then, as it turned out, Qatar to end that wait for an Asian Cup. And I think that's the way to... To frame it, I, uh, this reminded me of, uh, you're going to love this analogy. 2006, I'll keep it quick. 2016 Wimbledon, Andy Murray's in the semi-finals, Federer, Djokovic and Nadal have all lost. And at that point, Andy Murray has to win Wimbledon. Thankfully he does. He wins it in 2016. But Andy Murray is South Korea in this, in this analogy and South Korea fallen by, also fallen by the wayside, I think. It's just a real failure when you, when you factor in a lot of the criticisms that have been made of, of, of Klinsman as well. Grim, usually Taylor and I openly mock you for bringing up tennis on this show, and I don't have any intention to stop doing that. Uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for the sake of your analogy, I know enough about tennis to understand exactly what you're saying and begrudgingly Excellent. have to admit that that is, that is a really good analogy, Grim. That is really good. <laughs> 
I'm still just sort of reeling from the fact that we got a Wimbledon reference without Ryan Bailey being right? on the show. Not quite the <laughs> Not same AFC, Wimbledon but reference, yeah, but still it counts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, let's do this then. Let's take a moment to look at what Korea wanted to do in this tournament. Because I think that is also important to lay out sort of how they have approached this tournament, how they approach these games. Because if you're looking, again, at the simply the result and the progression through the tournament. They make the semifinal. Uh, they lose to a team that they drew in the group stage, but who caused them problems there. If Jordan go on to win the whole thing, uh, then maybe this is less of a big deal, that, though I take your both of your points that with a lot of the sort of title contenders, title favorites eliminated, you would have expected them uh, to make maybe a little bit further of a run. Uh, but along the way, there are those kind of inconsistencies in form and those erratic performances. So what do we feel like, Graham, was the approach that maybe Jurgen Klinsmann assumed would be the case or or set the team out to play in? Like, what would you say were some of the hallmarks or ideas in terms of formation and approach? Well, I think that's part of the problem with Klinsmann is that it's very difficult to work out those uh, those hallmarks. It felt like... He wanted to set up his team in uh, a four-four-two shape that would essentially give the likes of Wang Hee-chan and Song Hyun-min, obviously, the space and the freedom to play their natural game and just do as they want to do on a football pitch. And that is one that's one side of the the complaints against Klinsman. I think you can you can split it into two sections. There are football complaints and then there are complaints against Klinsman as a personality. And on the football side of things, he was accused of negligence in in, in a tactical sense. The way that he set up this team uh, to be honest, Taylor, I, I don't really know what he wanted this team to be, but it certainly didn't get the best out of his attacking players in particular. Didn't do a lot to harness those players that South Korea have at the moment. And I agree with Joe. I watched a, 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 quite a bit of the performance against Jordan, and you have to think, surely, that South Korea should be capable of more in that match. They never found a way to handle Jordan's pressing and counterattacks, and they created the greater number of opportunities, and they deserved to win. So frequently it felt like Klinsman's entire plan was to hope that one of his star players would come up with a piece of magic, which happened a few times in this tournament, most notably when Song Kyun Min bangs one into the back of the net from a free kick against Australia to get them through that game. But expecting that to happen in every single match is is just not sustainable. And I think that's the thing that cost them in the end. Joe, did you see anything one way or the other that had you thinking that Jurgen Klinsmann did have this team maybe prepared to play a certain style or a certain way? I mean, they did play a certain style. They did play a certain way. No team in this competition averaged more of the ball than South Korea. They were really close to hitting 70% possession across all of their games. Jurgen Klinsmann's talked about this before. He talked about this early on when, when he was hired for this position by the South Korean Football Association. Like, that he wants to be an attacking team. He talks about, you know, wanting to win games 4-3 rather than 1-0, like almost every other coach ever decides to, to say. Like, you know, he, he stated those bits of intent. And I think we saw a lot of that. The problem is the performances on the field from the players and, and some lack of structure in the film that I've seen, like, really did let them down. And, and my, my first thought when we sort of were talking about this, this, uh, this concept earlier in the week to do today was like, okay, you know, it, it's fascinating to dig into good performances and bad performances and good and bad runs at tournaments. Uh, but like, you know, it's not a huge sample size, right? And so judging someone off of this is difficult. Uh, it's not just this tournament for Jurgen Klinsmann in South Korea. And, and we can also talk and we will about other stops in Jurgen Klinsmann's career uh, because it's fun and we like to reminisce on good times, right, Taylor? Uh, yeah. But you look at the results heading into this, into this tournament. Jurgen Klinsmann started out in this position five games without a win. Now, granted, we're talking about friendlies here, but it was three draws and two losses. They drew in his first match 2-2 against Colombia in 2023. Then they lost to Uruguay. Then they lost to Peru. Then they drew with El Salvador. Then they drew with Wales. And that's when a lot of the stories that I read started to really pop up about people being frustrated with what was happening. Then they finally get a win. That's a 1-0 win versus Saudi Arabia in September. And they blow out Tunisia and Vietnam in October. They blow out Singapore earlier in, in January before the tournament starts. And then the Asian Cup gets going. Like, we haven't seen against quality opposition for the South Korean team them be able to convert chances into goals on a consistent basis. That continued to be a problem for this group in, in big moments, certainly against teams in, in, in big games or, or quality opposition. That continued to be a problem for this team, even as they want to dominate the ball under Jurgen Klinsmann. Joe, since you've taken us back to the start of his tenure, uh, let's maybe take it one step further back. From what you've read, 
why did they want Jurgen Klinsmann in the first place? Why was he the hire that South Korea felt like was the one that could push them to that next level? Taylor, as I was reading about this, one of the links that I found is that back in 2018, South Korea had hired another German, and that's Michael Muller, to be their technical director of, of the FA. And there is a little bit of a link there between Muller, who was involved in a long time with the German FA. He served as a scout for some of the youth teams there. He'd been involved as a, as a coach. Like, there's a little bit of a connection there. But you don't go out and hire Jürgen Klinsmann because you've found this like really under-the-radar, like underground German manager. You hire Jürgen Klinsmann for one reason. You want a big name. Like South Korea have hired Gus Hiddink before. Jürgen Klinsmann is the biggest name they've had since Gus Hiddink. They wanted somebody who was going to bring attention to the program. There is literally no explanation, knowing what Philip Lam has wrote about Jürgen Klinsmann in his book, knowing about what everybody has, has written about Jürgen Klinsmann during his time in charge of the U.S. men's national team and how that ended and how 2014 World Cup chaos. Like, there's no way you make this hire without a very specific thing in mind. And that thing when it comes to Klinsmann is absolutely having someone notable lead your national team. Graham, I agree with what Joe has said. I still find it a little bit confusing given where Klinsmann was in his career with uh, the obvious uh, like sort of success, relative success with Germany, uh, getting the bronze medal. Uh, but then things don't really work out for the U.S. Uh, he, he is fired from that job. Uh, the advisory role with TFC is not particularly smashing. His time in the Bundesliga, not particularly successful. Mm. So we, we, I feel, it feels like South Korea found him at the low ebb, maybe to Joe's point, as a name, as an internationally known name, and maybe with an idea that that would get more attention and more interest and maybe they could be the spark that he needed. But it does still seem like an odd appointment given the trajectory of his coaching career. It's also an odd appointment because he replaces Paolo Bento as yeah. South Korea manager, who actually faced quite a bit of criticism in the build-up to the, to the World Cup. But actually, as he leaves that role, I think most would accept progressed the South Korean national team, particularly from a, a tactical point of view, from a... Um, I come back to that Berhalter quote, disorganizing opponents through their use of the ball. South Korea actually ended up being pretty decent at that. So to go from Bento to then go to Klinsman in the belief that in some way he would, he would build on that. I just don't understand that, that theory at all. And you're right, Taylor. You look at his recent record. It's not a strong one at all. Um, he hadn't, he'd barely coached in six years before taking over this job. And a, a lot of people looked at the, his appointment as a case of, um, the German technical director at the KFA, Michael Muller, who, who, who Joe mentions, kind of just hiring one of his mates, someone that he'd, he knew. I'm not even entirely sure if he'd worked with them before. I, I imagine in the, in the German FA, um, there'd be some overlap there, but I don't know whether he was at the German FA, the DFB that long ago. But there didn't seem to be much of a hiring process. The criteria that Muller laid out about Klinsmann being a modern manager with good ideas was, uh, confusing given what we know about Jürgen Klinsmann and from that moment on there there has been suspicion he's been a, a fairly unpopular appointment right from the beginning I think that's related to certain off-field things like his decision not to base himself in South Korea has been very very unpopular now I, I think living in another country in international football can work in some instances. We've had Republic of Ireland managers base themselves in London in the past. Steve Clark lives in London as well, but the difference is the distance, and also Steve Clark spends a lot of his time in Scotland. Klinsman went months at a time without visiting South Korea, so it felt like he was quite literally phoning it in for much of 2023. He's never really given the impression that he truly wanted this job, and you know he's given this impression that his life in California is more important to him than his job in South Korea. I wrote about Klinsman as South Korea manager for my newsletter back in September. At that time, the reason that that prompted me to write that was he was getting a lot of criticism for attending the old firm Derby in a media capacity uh, when he hadn't been in South Korea for a couple months at that time. And there was a newspaper in South Korea that counted up the number of yeah, days that this. he had been. 67 days was what they came up uh, with until that point, anyway, until the, the point of him going to the old firm Derby. 67 days in a whole year up until that point he'd been in South Korea. There's also other things like him scrapping regular press conferences so the South Korean media haven't had much of an opportunity to scrutinize him. His relationship with them has been strained and apparently some of the players have a strained relationship with him 
two, and then another story that emerged last year was his sacking of Michael Kim as his assistant manager. Now, he was a very popular figure within the dressing room, also very highly rated in Korean football. He's been linked with a number of K-League jobs since, uh, since, since leaving the national team set up. A lot of people think he might actually end up replacing Jurgen Klinsmann if he were to get the boot from from his job. So there's just a lot of things that have accumulated into this solid criticism and narrative around Klinsmann. Also, just little stories like the the Wales game that you mentioned, Joe, where they drew nil nil. Klinsmann asks for Aaron Ramsey's shirt, which is bizarre. Uh, he says it was for his son, but that is to just then very give to the medical of his son's team, who was Welsh, I believe. Even so, it just it is bizarre. sort of a, when you're not playing well, the priority shouldn't be getting a shirt. Yeah, and more recently, another thing was when South Korea lose to to Jordan. I saw a lot, of, a lot of criticism in the South Korean press when I went and tried to find some newspaper articles. He had this giant grin across his face when he's walking across the the pitch and. I don't know if that matters, but it, it, when when the narrative is already as it is around Jurgen Klinsmann, it's it's not what you want to see as a fan when you've just suffered that crushing result. So let's do this then. Let's take a quick break. And we'll come back. We'll talk a bit more about Klinsmann uh, before Korea, Klinsmann uh, while managing Korea, and then we'll look at what happens next in the Asian Cup. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, the big thing episode this week about South Korea and Jurgen Klinsmann. Uh, I had asked you all uh, before the break why Korea wanted to go for him in the first place. And there are, don't get me wrong, pros to Jurgen Klinsmann as a manager, starting with his his profile mostly as a player at this point uh, that Joe already raised. But in some of the pieces I read going back to when he's first hired by U.S. Soccer and then when the criticism first starts to bubble up, many players talk about how good he is as a communicator, uh, how good he is in his communication with players, but also with with fans and with the media, how he makes himself very accessible and he will answer questions and and happily kind of put himself in the spotlight. And then on top of that is a very good motivator. And you hear that a lot when his teams are winning, when they're having success, there is an element of he could make you run through a wall. He could be, he could get everybody to buy in and believe that this was the game they were going to fight and try to win and that he could instill belief. And and I think with the Korean F- FA, uh, like reading between the lines a little bit, I think there was a feeling that maybe there was too much emphasis on pragmatic, tactical yeah. football, sort of, and that they wanted somebody who could loosen the reins a little bit, but also motivate that squad to the next level. And I think that is where you could say it makes 
some sense. And then he's a person who has in the past been willing to give unheralded players, young players, new players opportunities at national team level. And he's been willing to call players back in if things don't seem didn't seem like they were going well, but now there's an opportunity to reevaluate. So those would be the positives. I think the interesting thing is how many of those things are not as strong when he's not living in the country and when he's only been there for what, 67 days, you said, Graham? Suddenly yeah. some of that communication and some of that willingness to be public with the media doesn't work out quite the same anymore. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I, I also look at how South Korea have, have played under him and I'm struggling to see where that man management is shining through in some of the performances of the player. In fact, now it seems like he cheeses off as many players as he gets uh, he gets playing for him. So it feels like a, one of his strengths, his past strengths, and I think there have been times in Klinsman's career where that, that strength has been worth something. I look at the 2006 World Cup where Germany make a, a run to the semi-final. Now, it's widely acknowledged that Yogi Lowe is the, the kind of tactical mastermind behind that. Because <laughs> Klinsman, Klinsman said it himself, basically. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And Philip Lamb wrote about it in his in his book at, at, at length. But I, I I do think Jürgen Klinsmann contributes something to, to that team and to that environment, Germany being the host nation. I think he plays a role. But I, it's, it's difficult to see where he's where he's playing that role for South Korea and where he's played that role for anyone recently. He lasts, what is it, 76 days at Hertha Berlin, which is his only managerial stint in the six years before taking this job. We it all know been, how it ends. It would have been like 80, but he had that moment when he couldn't find his passport and had to kind of figure that one out. So maybe he would have got a few more days out of it, but that <laughs> did sort of cut things down a bit. I think if 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 it's eighty days, Taylor, I'm not entirely sure that does much to frame nope. that stint any differently. But yes, yeah, right. so I, I I take your point. But he's uh, you look through his recent managerial record, and it's just it's just abysmal, isn't it? And I, and and I have to acknowledge my kind of I don't know if bias is the right word, but personal bias when it comes to Klinsman because he's he's genuinely one of the nicest managers I've ever dealt with. I always got on really well with him, and as a young reporter in a foreign country, which is usually where I would meet him. I appreciated that, and I still do appreciate that. But in a professional sense, you look at his recent record, you look at how he's done for South Korea, I don't really know why anyone would employ him at this point, to be frank. I want to come back to that niceness in a little bit. I, I first want to acknowledge, like, and you guys already made this point, that he is the first, I think, to admit like he is not a tactician, and that is not what he is about, and that's why he... he he agrees. Like Yogi Lowe deserves the credit. I think he says it in a slightly less genu uh, generous way. I think he phrased it more as like, yeah, my job isn't in the moment to identify every little thing that's happening and identify every opportunity and how we can best tactically deal with it. My job is to manage the team and see the overall big picture and, and make the team play good soccer that score go scores goals. Like I, I think he would put it that way. I think... That is not even the worst thing. The problem then becomes, who is that person that you're relying on? And if it's Yogi Lowe, that might work out okay. But if it's not Yogi Lowe, it has to be the right person. And that's that's the kind of start of the of the decline, as I understood it, uh, when, when he takes over the U.S. job, if we're going to connect some dots here. Uh, he's joined by Martin Vasquez as an assistant. Vasquez is someone he met, I think, just living in California, going to coaching clinics together. Uh, he liked him a lot, Vasquez. I believe prior to taking the U.S. assistant gig, was briefly a manager of Chivas USA. You can guess how well that went over if you're familiar at all with the history of Chivas USA. It went awesome. So good. Uh, but it's kind of an immediate start of the complaints from the, from the U.S. Uh, player pool. That training doesn't really make sense. It doesn't flow naturally. Uh, they don't really spend that time, that much time actually prepping for opponents and actually prepping for how they're going to play. And so Vasquez, uh, after Brian Strauss's piece that sort of takes the U.S. apart ahead of the 2014 World Cup, Vasquez uh, is, is sacked. And I think that's when Bertie Votes comes in. I believe Tab Ramos also brought in. And so if he surrounds himself with capable deputies, I think that can make up for not placing much of a priority on the tactics. But if he's not in that situation or if he doesn't have those personnel around him, yeah. I think the lack of tactical acumen really becomes clear. 
Yeah. I forgot about the Bertie Votes thing. Bertie Votes mm-hmm. is my Jurgen Klinsmann in terms of, of the Scotland national team. I forgot that there was a, a, a union, an axis of uh, an axis of evil, managerial evil there for the US for a while. <laughs> Joe, anybody you want to throw into the axis of evil when it comes to managers <laughs> or you want to take us in a different direction? I, I just want to take some time to think about that one. I feel like this is a huge <laughs> opportunity and I don't and I don't want to waste it. No, I, I think your point there is absolutely spot on, Taylor, right? We always have this perception that the number one, the the manager, is always the one running training. They're always the one making all the decisions. That is not true. Right? That is not how this sport works. Oftentimes, the manager is the one running training. Oftentimes, they're the one making all of the individual decisions. Uh, to tie this back to the U.S., Greg Berhalter very much seems to be that yeah. way, although his assistants will do some training stuff as well. Like it's It's not like that everywhere. If you're a manager who has very specific skills, use them. And surround yourself with good people, like in any industry in life, right? Surround yourself with people who are going to make up for your shortcomings and are going to make you better. We just don't have enough evidence that that's something that's happened in this South Korea job. You you think about the results that have come in, the lack of progress, the frustration from the fan base to begin with, the fact that this very much does seem to be a connection and fame-based hire rather than any hire of merit because I don't have anything against Jurgen Klinsmann. His U.S. time was before I started doing this job and I wasn't really paying attention, frankly, at the time. Like... I don't, I don't have anything against the guy, but we don't, we don't have any real look at him thriving in this job or thriving in, in any job in recent history. So I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time imagining there being a lot of worlds where this appointment goes swimmingly for South Korea. And you, you can see his lack of commitment in this job from the very start, right? Graham, you mentioned that 67 days number. Like, I get he's got family in California. Being a national team coach is is like low-key not really a full-time job if you don't want it to be. I kind of understand some of that tie still to stay in California. Just don't take the job then. Like, you know how it's going to be perceived. There's surely a way that you could get to South Korea. Like, this is not impossible for a well-connected, affluent man to go and find a spot. Like, there's just so many flaws here, and I really do sympathize and understand South Korean fans being irritated not just about this tournament – but like, why Why was this guy the guy to lead us after we make it to the round of 16 of the 2022 World Cup? I understand changing managers. I think that's completely valid. Like, why Why is this the direction you're going in 2023, now 2024? Yeah, I, I agree with that, Joe. And I think as long as we're talking about him living in California, uh, I, I would connect that to going back to his time with the U.S., there was this idea that he is the best of both worlds when he is first appointed, that he is a German international who has the background of of playing uh, for Germany. He's got this idea of of tactics and how to play. Uh, He's steeped in the traditions of football, but then he lives in California and he likes the United States and he likes American values and ideas and the I can do it attitude and uh, all those things. And so it, it is on paper, at least this blend of these two concepts that should work perfectly. Again, going back and reading those pieces, a thing that comes up time and time again is that he has this like idea that he's this California surfer dude. In reality, he's a German guy and he's very certain about things. It does seem like he was willing to try different ideas and, and, and like incorporate new ways of approaching being physically fit and bringing gym equipment with them when they hadn't previously and new approaches to diet and exercise and the patterns of exercise along the way. But at the same time, if he feels like it's the right way to do something, he's pretty inflexible. And more importantly, if he feels like what your idea might be is the wrong way, he's not going to give it as much credence. And it does feel like that has been the case in his time as manager of South Korea, that he hasn't prioritized living in the country or or even being in the country for long periods of time. And when confronted by that, seems almost annoyed that it's a question that's even being asked. And there's that one where he's not scheduled to come back and watch the domestic league. He was going to stay in Europe and watch different different uh, players over there. He's He basically comes back to Korea because of the media scrutiny and the kind of frustration with how things are going. And when asked why he came back, I think his answer was basically like, because you all wanted me to. Like, it, it's just a very... Um, I think it it can be practical if the situation is positive. If it's not, I think it really quickly sounds tone deaf. And it does seem like there have been tone deaf moments from him along the way, like the smiling during the press conference, like the uh, request for the shirt after the Wales game. And I think that has led to 
some of the issues we've seen in his time as manager of South Korea. Yeah. Graham, have you, you, you talked about like things bubbling up. Have you seen other things? Have you read other things along the way? I just think generally he needs um, greater self-awareness, right, uh, of himself. You just want to say to him, dude, people are mad at you. Like, why, yeah. why are you behaving like this? Well, maybe this might be your natural behavior to go and ask Aaron Ramsey for his shirt or, you know, do media appearances in Scotland or whatever. But maybe curb some of that when yeah. your job is at question or is is, is on the line. So, yeah, I, I, that just says to me again that he doesn't really care about this about this job. It's it's employment to him. I guess it keeps it pays for the bills, although I don't know if that is uh a concern for him at this point, given his his career as as a player and as a manager before now, but yeah, some of his behaviour is just perplexing, very 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 confusing. As long as we're talking about things that are slightly perplexing, I think another parallel that can be drawn to his time as U.S. manager when he takes over the U.S. national team, there's the the introductory press conference where he talks about wanting to you know play proactive attacking football as every coach does, and it's never a good idea to lay out your your golden idea that maybe can then be used to beat you as things don't work out. But he talked about like comprehensively changing the mindset mentality of American soccer. He said the same thing when he took over South Korea and how he wanted to kind of evolve the program and change the mentality. And a thing that in reading about uh, Korea, like it was a page straight out of the coverage of his time with the U.S. There's a lack of consistency and a lot of ugly wins, which matters when the coach talks so frequently about style. And I think that is it gets at the heart of what we're talking about with this South Korea team in this Asian Cup, that making the semifinals is in some ways an achievement. But when it's done through ugly wins, last minute equalizers and penalties and set pieces and a reliance on certain star players it doesn't give you the impression that the team itself is progressing and improving and learning how to play together. It gives you the impression that individuals are making them better. And those individuals, as is the case with Son Heung-min, have said, this is my last Asian Cup. So next time around, if they don't have him, but Klinsman is still there, I don't know how things go, but I don't know if they go particularly well. Uh, so let's do this. Let's take one more break, uh, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a bit more about Klinsman. We'll talk about uh, where things go from here. And as well, we'll look maybe a little bit at the Asian Cup final. Back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We've been discussing Jurgen Klinsmann uh, as the coach of the South Korean national team, and I've been spending a little time discussing him as the coach of the U.S. national team. Again, there was some like cathartic moments in reading about that time period for me. But now let's do a little, a little bit of a look ahead, Joe, because before we started recording, my question was, like, do you all have thoughts on what happens next? He has said he's not going to step down. They made the semifinals. I'm not sure how this plays out. And Joe's response was, I, I think he stays there. I don't see why he would leave. Joe, explain yourself. Yeah, I mean, Klinsman can hide behind the fact that this tournament's been wild, right? We we said towards the top that we spent most of the last month or so on the international side talking about AFCON, which has been a crazy tournament. This tournament has been as well. The fact that Qatar and Jordan are in the final, Jordan are 87th in the FIFA rankings, Qatar 54th in the FIFA rankings. And if we want to think about this as like a March Madness style tournament, uh, Jordan are 13th in the in in AFC in the FIFA rankings and Qatar are sixth and then it's it's seven and nine right in according to the ELO ratings these are not the premier teams in Asia Japan had a disappointing tournament Iran Australia Saudi like everybody had a bad tournament except for the teams that nobody expected to be here so I think that is a fantastic shield for Jurgen Klinsmann to hide behind factor in the idea that the Korean That's FA... Not, I mean, I know I know you are you are correct, Joe, and I absolutely see what you're saying. It is just such a, like... I, maybe speaking as a parent, if my daughter was like, well, everybody else failed, so I don't think it's a big deal that I failed, too. I'm not sure that's an ironclad excuse, even no. though I understand what you mean uh, in overall spirit of the argument. Seems like a pretty good excuse for the FA that hired you in the first place, to be honest. But yeah, point, point taken, Taylor. Like, you, you stack on top of that the fact that the Korean FA have been really slow to fire yeah. coaches in the past like they they don't fire a lot of managers it just doesn't really happen not that it's impossible right but i'm not sure that the failure here was as egregious enough to warrant him being fired i mean if i was in charge of things we would be looking for a new manager because i wouldn't have hired Jurgen Klinsmann in the first place but his contract when he signs it in 2023 it's through the 2026 world cup it is a three and a half year deal and i'm just not quite sure that given korea's track record and given you know how weird this tournament's been for everyone, that it will be enough. Even when you toss in some of the off-field stuff that fans don't seem to care about, or that, that don't, don't seem to like, excuse me, and some of their struggles early on in friendlies, I'm I'm just not sure it's going to be enough. I was shocked to learn that he is making over two million dollars a year. Yeah, uh, two point two million dollars. Yeah, which is still. Only second uh, in teams competing at the Asian Cup, I believe, behind uh, Roberto Mancini, who's being paid a good bit of money by Saudi Arabia. Uh, but Jurgen Klinsmann making the amount of money he is making, that is a negative and a positive, I think. Because obviously, when you're making that amount of money, there's an expectation that the results back that up and justify that salary. But then, and this was, again, the case with the U.S., in some ways, it makes you, officials a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger because they've invested so much money, they've made such a high-profile deal that having to pull out of it it's a little bit of the sunk cost fallacy, but I think there's an, an, a tendency to try to avoid that and instead be like, but maybe it will get better and then we'll look like geniuses. And I think because of that amount of money, it can sometimes be harder to move on from a coach, even if it seems like it would be easier because you can uh, cut ties, bring in the the assistant that he sacked for a much lower salary and then see how things play out. Yeah, I, I certainly believe that Klinsman will want to stay as South Korea manager. I I just have a hard time believing that Look, I'm not on the grounds in Korea. I'm obviously reading things on social media and media reports and, and, and so on. I just have a hard time believing that the KFA will completely disregard the fury of their own fans that is built up, not just at this tournament, but for a year now. It's been building up for a year. There was a fan arrested or, or detained uh, after the defeat to Jordan for, for throwing what uh, I believe was like candy, sweets, 
at Jürgen Klinsmann. Chocolate so I don't coins, think any of kind of Chocolate coins, yeah, taking a leaf out of the Bundesliga fans uh, book there. Joe, I don't think there was any like question of Klinsmann's safety, but nonetheless, an, an arrest was made. Um, th- there seems to be genuine fury. So I, I do think it gets the point, particularly with national team I, jobs, I you, where Graham. that does matter. Sorry, it, it's just it's hard for me to accept that there is genuine fury when the when the evidence is someone threw candy at him. Those two things are adorably at odds with each other. But <laughs> again, I take your point. Yeah, well, South Green, South Green fans, I, I don't know, they've yeah. got a bit of a stereotypical reputation for maybe being a bit more restrained, but uh, I don't know if that's a factor. But yeah, there, there seems to be real fury. And so if they do keep Jürgen Klinsmann, bunker down, because yeah. I don't think that fury is going to dissipate anytime soon. Uh, and I would say, again, the Korean FA might want to look at, at U.S. soccer for a moment, where there's the ringer piece uh, that breaks down sort of the steps that went wrong along the way to the United States failure to qualify. And one of them is a hesitancy to sack Klinsman. There's a decision that the decision to bring in Bruce Arena as the replacement manager, I think, was initially made 10 months to 12 months before it actually happened. Then, for a variety of reasons, they chose not to make that decision officially, and things got worse. It it deprived Arena of getting a full cycle for qualifying. I don't know if that would have made a difference. I don't know if Bruce Arena was necessarily dialed in to the needs of the day when it came to how he ran the U.S. team in his second stint. But I still think Korea might want to take a look at that and realize that if things don't seem like they are trending in the right direction, if there aren't obvious areas of improvement, and I would argue there are not, there's not really an argument for things are going to get better from here. It feels like they're either going to stay the same or more likely continue to deteriorate. Uh, but that is a problem for people who get a lot more money than I do to deal with these issues. As Joe is fond of pointing out, we don't have to deal with them. We can just talk about them. Uh, any other points to raise when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann, when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann in charge of South Korea, or when it comes to the South Korean national team, broadly speaking? Or shall we, Joe, move on to the uh, Asian Cup final? Can I just make one very quick point and why I, I think this is potentially worse for South Korea than it was for the US. Now, I'm not saying US missing out in the World Cup wasn't a disaster. It was. Klinsman played a very prominent role in that. But as we've seen with Berhalter, there, there was there was an end of a cycle there, right? In a weird way, missing out in the World Cup gave Berhalter more freedom to maybe build the next generation. And the hope is that that next generation is going to achieve more than the US ever has at major tournaments and at World Cups. I don't think South Korea are at that point in their development. This is their team. This is the team that is meant to achieve more than past generations have. They've got their greatest ever player in Song Kyung Min. They have Kim Min Jae, who is playing at an elite level in Europe. They've got Hwang Hee Chan, who's an excellent attacker in the Premier League. They've got Lee Kang In, who might actually end up being their best talent. A lot of South Korean fans think he has potential to, to be better than Son, although they played slightly different positions. This is meant to be the golden generation. So if Klinsman get, gets sacked, there's not really a silver lining in the way that there was at the end of that US cycle where it's like, right, we've got a clean slate to build something new. There's not really that that carrot dangling for South Korea. And that's why I think this is a potentially an even graver situation for them. Uh, if they do end up sacking Klinsman, uh, and if they don't appoint, uh, who, what was his name? The, the man that Klinsman sacked earlier, Graham? Oh, Michael Kim. If they don't go with Michael Kim... Uh, would you advise them to go with the manager of Jordan or the manager of Qatar, the two teams contesting the final at this point? Well, J- Jordan, I have to admit, I'm not entirely sure who the manager of Jordan uh, is, but Jordan, I've seen a bit of them at this tournament. They've really impressed me. Musa uh, Altamari, I think, has been incredible, potentially the, the, the tournament, the player of the tournament. From what I've seen, as I say, I've, I've uh, limited exposure to just the last kind of knockout round games, but they're super aggressive. They press well. They make the most of their opportunities on on, on the break. Um, given how poor Qatar were at the World Cup, I frankly can't believe that they've made it to the Asian Cup final again. Because I remember talking about Qatar at the World Cup and that was always an anomaly, or we treated it as an anomaly, that they um, they won Asian Cup in, in 2019. So I can't quite believe they've they've made it this far. But I guess in terms of who wins this game, it depends on whether Qatar give that space to to break into um, that Jordan had in the, in, in the semifinals. But I like their chances, and that would be one of the biggest upsets in modern tournament history if, if Jordan were able to, to win the Asian Cup. Graham, can you guess uh, how many permanent managers Qatar has had since uh, the World Cup? It's not as many. 
Is it? Is it two? It is Maybe two. Eventually. Do you know who the? Uh, so it is. Is presently uh, Tintin Marquez, which is elite name. By the way, I was waiting name. to drop oh, that, I mean. Taylor. Thank you. It's so good. Uh, yeah, uh, Bartolome Tintin Marquez Lopez uh, of of Spain. But Graham, can you guess who it was in between uh, the World Cup and Tintin taking over? Here's so a hint. Framing, We've talked about him this. many times on this podcast. Uh, a former. Club assistant, briefly a club manager, and then a lot of international gigs. Is it Carlos Cuerdas? It Cuerdas. is. <laughs> <laughs> Ten months wow. in charge. Well done, Graham. He got 12 games. Uh, the Qatar FA were not impressed, and so now we have uh, Tintin taking over. I, I kind of wish it were the animated Tintin. Alas, it is not. Uh, but they, w- they will be in the final. So I feel like I would go with Tintin mostly because I get to say Tintin over and over and over again, as I has in the last like 60 seconds or so. Uh, Joe, any thoughts from you on the managers or the final itself? I've been burned by Qatar too many times, which is to yep. say once. Uh, so I think Jordan are going to get the job done. I am, I'm in total agreement with Graham in terms of the significance of that result. To go through South Korea en route to, to winning the entire thing would be an amazing story for Jordan. Like this is, this is groundbreaking kind of stuff for them in a way that it's just not for Qatar. So the narrative side of things certainly in their favor. And, you know, um, maybe, maybe everybody has sort of a fool me once thing going on with Qatar right now. And, and that's going to tip things in Jordan's favor as well. I wouldn't say Jordan have had the most challenging of runs through the knockout round. It was the Korea team we've been talking about. It was uh, Tshikistan before that. But it was a rack in the round of 16. And I saw a graphic the other day that uh, I believe every team of like the last like four Asian Cups that has beaten Iraq in the knockout round went on to win the Asian Cup, except for the time that Iraq won it themselves. Uh, so there you go. Jordan having beaten Iraq, I guess that automatically means they will beat Qatar in the final. I look forward to our Monday show when we get to talk about uh, how Qatar were able to win like 5 nothing or something like that. <laughs> um, gentlemen, as I said, look forward to talking about that final with you all. We've got, again, a very busy weekend ahead of us, so maybe we should uh, just call this one quits for now and, and take a nice break and be ready for the weekend to come. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you for talking about Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, South Korea, and a little bit of U.S. men's national team uh, in this episode. I am quite literally shocked, Taylor, that there was not a longer Jurgen Klinsmann USMNT rant in there from you. I chalked That's it up to you being a constant, a consummate professional, excuse me. Um, Taylor, this was fun. Thanks. <laughs> I can go on that rant if you want, including <laughs> nah, the fact right. that he has a media fallout where he bans Kyle Martino from attending like press conferences because Martino publicly talked about how training didn't make sense. And then Klinsman called him and was like, you're not allowed to talk about that on, on television. Klinsman has this very avuncular, charming demeanor, but I think can be pretty ruthless. And I do think that can hurt his standing within the team, but I think also can make uh, executives uh, even more gun-shy uh, when it comes to to getting rid. So I, I think it's just going to be a fascinating thing to see if he if he is sacked and if he's not, if he tries to do anything to ingratiate himself, if he ends up like moving to Korea briefly, if he starts going to K-League games, maybe he gets into K-pop too. Maybe he just embraces it all and turns it all around. But I think it's going to be After he gets sacked, to watch. as like a vindictive move, he becomes like a Korea stan just to troll them in some way. I mean, or becomes like a, a J-pop stan and just attends J-League <laughs> games and, and infuriates Korea even more. Graham Ruthman, if that happens, I'm sure we'll talk about it on this very show. Oh, we will. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, thank you all so much. Hope you've enjoyed this week's big thing. We'll talk to you again next week.